everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast series brought to you by the Stevens Group. In case you don't already know who the Stevens Group is, we're one of the leading mergers and acquisitions firms in the PR and digital interactive space. I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group and your host for today. The PR Masters podcast series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. And we do have a luminary as our guest today. And she is Associate Professor Denise Hill. And Denise uh, uh, warrants our sincere congratulations because I think this week she was just promoted to Associate Professor and uh, is now tenured. Uh, She had been Assistant Professor at Elon University the School of Communication. So congratulations, Denise. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Denise teaches undergraduate and graduate courses in strategic communications. And she is a former chief communications officer with more than 30 years of corporate communications and public relations agency experience. She's got quite a background. Before joining Elon University, Dr. Hill was vice president of corporate communications and public relations at Delhaize America, which is the U.S. operation of global Fortune 500 grocery tailor Delhaize Group. And she previously held chief communications officer positions at Quest Diagnostics and a business unit of Wyndham Worldwide. In addition to that, she served as a vice president of communications at Novartis Pharmaceuticals and Cigna. And she started her career at Carl Beyer, Hill and Knowlton Public Relations Agency in Philadelphia. In addition to her Elon University teaching experience, Dr. Hill was an adjunct instructor of corporate communications and public relations at New York universities. And she also taught communications at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She holds a bachelor's degree and master's degree in communications from Temple University and a Ph.D. in mass communication from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And her academic research focuses on public relations and social change, how public relations was used to help marginalized groups in the United States gain civil rights, and African-American public relations pioneers. Dr. Hill is a member of the Board of Directors of the Public Relations Society of America. Uh, I was once that myself, uh, Denise. Uh, In addition, she's a member of the Arthur W. Pace Society, and and I am too, uh, where she serves on the new member liaison subcommittee. She's also a member of the Association for Education in Journalism and Mass Communications, the American Journalism Historians Association, and an advisory board member of the Museum of Public Relations. And she also serves on APCO Worldwide's International Advisory Council as a member of the Corporate Communication Strategies subgroup. And she also serves on the board of directors of Easter Seals of North Carolina and Virginia, and she chairs the organization's development and communications committee. She is a former member of the seminar, the premier organization of chief chief communications officers, and she's also a former member of the executive leadership council, the preeminent organization of African-American business executives. That is quite a resume, I must say. Professor, or I should say Associate Professor, Denise Hill, welcome to our podcast today, and it's really good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. 
So my first question to you is this: uh, you you have you are an expert on black PR pioneers, and um, that is a, a subject that obviously you know very well. And so I wanted to start uh, with that uh, to get to give our listeners a sense of what is what the history of uh, of, uh, of of black public relations practitioners you know is how it came about and what what you believe its uh, state is uh, in that uh, category today. Would you mind sharing that with us? I would love to share that. So your question how it came about, it has actually always been there. So it has always been a part of history. The problem is that it was not brought to the forefront. So the history of public relations focused on pioneers such as Ivy Lee, Edward Bernays, Arthur Page, and those gentlemen were indeed public relations pioneers, and they made significant contributions to our profession, and they deserve to be recognized as pioneers. However, there were also African Americans and women who were pioneers who were not included in the historiography. And part of the reason that they were not included is most of the history of public relations as we know it today was drawn from two textbooks. And those textbooks were written by Scott Cutlip, who was a, an important educator, and he focused on primarily men and no minorities. And so part of the reason that he didn't include minorities is he didn't think there were any practicing public relations at the time. However, with some research, he would have found that there were indeed many women and many minorities practicing public relations, and those women and minorities made significant contributions. And the work that they did was on par with the existing pioneers, with the Edward Bernays and with Ivy Lee and with Arthur Page. So one of the things that I am doing is uncovering many of these pioneers and conducting research on the work that they did and drawing attention to this work and bringing their contributions to the forefront and not just to the forefront, but bringing their contributions into the history so that the history is, number one, inclusive, but not inclusive for the sake of being inclusive, but it's accurate. It's currently not accurate because it is missing these pioneers. It is presenting uh, to our industry an inaccurate picture and a picture of exclusion versus inclusion. The inclusion was there. So we need to draw attention to it, and we need to say this is our history. So given that, who are some of the uh, uh, pioneers in uh, in uh, the practice of public relations among uh, uh, African Americans? I hear the name Moss Kendricks and yes, and yes. So Moss Kendricks, are they some of them? Yes. So um, Ida B. Wells is actually known uh, for being a journalist. She was an editor. She was a suffragist, and she was an activist. So part of the reason that Ida B. Wells is not included in the current history of public relations is she didn't have public relations in her title. So uh, Edward Vernays, Ivy Lee, Arthur Page all had public relations in their titles. Ida B. Wells did not. However, upon closer inspection, and if you look at her work, you will see that what she was doing in many cases, in many of her civil rights campaigns, she was actually doing public relations. There were public relations elements 
in the work that she did, for example, in her anti-lynching campaign. However, she did not have the title of public relations, so that's part of the reason that she is often excluded from the history of public relations. But she conducted research. She used that research to develop key messages in her anti-lynching campaign. She um, used many publicity-related tactics. She went on speaking engagements. One of the strategies that she employed was um, she took a message, her message overseas when it was not getting attention in the United States, and she used the sort of the international scene to draw attention to what was happening in the United States. And that particular strategy was later used by many other civil rights pioneers. So she was really one of the first to do that. So we need to look at her in a different way and look at the public relations activities that she developed. And again, she was born in 1862. She died in 1931. So she is of that time, of the, of the time of Edward Bernays and Ivy Lee, and should be included as a pioneer. And what about uh, the, the, the other names that have been brought to my attention, Moss, Kendricks, and Inez So Heiser. Yes. So Moss Kendricks, the reason that Moss Kendricks is considered a pioneer and should also be included when we look at those who came before us, when we look at public relations pioneers, is uh, Moss Kendricks founded his own public relations agency in 1944. So Moss Kendricks was born in 1917. He began his career as a journalist, and he then went into the Army, and he was doing public relations then, and then later founded his own public relations agency called the Moss Kendricks Organization. And one of his major accounts was Coca-Cola. That was not his only account, but one of his major accounts was Coca-Cola. And he had gone before before he got the Coca-Cola account, he had gone to Coca-Cola Corporation and presented a proposal because after the war, the African-American consumer market was growing substantially. However, companies, large companies such as Coca-Cola previously had not marketed to the African-American consumer. And so Moss Kendricks went to Coca-Cola presented a proposal, and initially Coca-Cola turned him down, but later when the company saw the potential of the African-American market, they hired Moss Kendricks to be the agency of record in reaching the multicultural market, the African-American market. So Moss Kendricks worked with the director of advertising at Coca-Cola to make sure that the way African-Americans were depicted in Coca-Cola advertising was not stereotypical. The other thing that Moss Kendricks did is he launched a public relations campaign on behalf of Coca-Cola, and he had the Coca-Cola account for about 30 years. So he was actually um, one of the first, so he used a combination of paid, what we call today paid and earned media. So he was really one of the first, you know, today we talk about the, the peso model, and obviously we, today we have social media. There was no social media then, so we have, you know, the shared aspects of it. But you can look at Moss Kendricks' work, and he was using many elements of this, you know, parts of this peso model back in the 1960s on behalf of Coca-Cola Corporation. So he was using a combination of paid and earned media, and he can really be considered almost a father of multicultural marketing communications. And as such, he should be recognized for that and should be recognized as being a pioneer. Uh, the other pioneer is Inez Kaiser. 
So Inez Kaiser was born in 1918, and she founded an agency, her own agency, in 1957. And her agency, she was the first African, was the first African American female-owned public relations firm in the country. And that's one of the reasons she should be recognized as a pioneer. She was the first African-American woman to head an agency with national clients. She was the first African-American woman to join PRSA. So both Ida B. Wells, Inez Kaiser, Moss Kendricks need to be, con- be included alongside Edward Bernays, alongside Ivy Lee, alongside Carl Beyer, other pioneers, and they should not be called out separately as African-American pioneers or female pioneers. They're pioneers. Just like Edward Bernays is not called out, he is just considered a pioneer. Arthur Page is just considered a pioneer. And Inez Kaiser, Moss Kendricks, Ida B. Wells should also just be considered pioneers. You include um, their backgrounds in, in the courses you teach? I do. I do. So um, I teach an introductory public relations class, and there's a section of that class where we talk about the history of public relations. And I certainly certainly include Edward Bernays. I cover many of his, his campaigns, and many of his campaigns were excellent. They provide excellent foundation for how the field of public relations, modern public relations, developed. And I also include these female and minority pioneers who are often overlooked as part of our history. So you were, you were uh, at one time, uh, when you were in the uh, corporate uh, arena, you were at one time a uh, member of the uh, seminar, which is yes. the uh, premier organization of chief communications officers. So my question to you about that is, uh, when you first became a member of that, uh, how many African Americans uh, were part of that group? Oh, you know, I don't know the exact number, um, but I would say a handful, um, and I'd say one handful, a single hand, not both hands. So, yeah, I would definitely say a handful. Well, that leads me to, you know, to my next question. Obviously, the, the, you know, the whole premise of diversity and in talking to Roger uh, Bolton yesterday uh, during a podcast with him, uh, which will be announced soon to our listeners, uh, he indicated, you know, that there has been a movement among the leading public relations uh, organizations in the country to band together, you know, to do a more intensive job on the role of diversity in public relations. Um, And so my question to you is, what is your present view on where diversity in public relations stands and what do you think, you know, should, can be done about it? So I think where it currently stands is I think um, it is still in the conversation stage and it has been in the conversation, conversation stage for many, many years. So if we look at it almost like um, some elements of a public relations campaign that uh, a practitioner would develop and uh, a goal often has to do with awareness and raising awareness. So I think we are still in the awareness stage. Yes, we are aware that there's a problem. So we have raised awareness. We are aware that we have a diversity and inclusion problem 
in our industry. However, we are still at the stage where we have not fixed that problem. So um, I think we're still trying to figure out what to do about it, but we have not done it yet. So we're still in the awareness stage. We're still in the stage where we are talking about it, but we have not achieved outcomes yet. How much progress do you think is being made, uh, you know, in college and university campuses across the country in terms of uh, attracting uh, African-American students and minority students, you know, to, uh, to public relations as a potential career and either taking courses in it or majoring in it? Uh, have, have we done a good enough job uh, in, in, in that? Because obviously there, you know, diversity consists of uh, trying to ensure that, you know, there are, you know, uh, the appropriate proportions of, of, of all races and creeds and colors, you know, in our industry. Do you think colleges and universities have done a decent job at doing that? Um, I think there are opportunities for improvement. I think um, there is more diversity uh, in college campuses in this in the major, in the communications field, than there was certainly when I joined when I was in college and I majored in communications. Um, so that's positive, but I think there are significant strides that we still need to take. I think there's more progress that we need to uh, achieve in order to increase those numbers and in order to get more students interested in the profession. Then we need to get them into the profession, and then we need to retain them. So I think we still have more work to do. Tell us about uh, uh, Black History Month, which uh, just took place, and uh, uh, do you feel it was uh, successful? Uh, do you think more needs to be done to uh, acquaint the uh, American public you know, with uh, uh, black history? What, what's your take on that? So my view on Black History Month and Women's History Month is um, it says something that we still have to have these months that we have to set aside one month out of 12 to recognize um, a group of our, our citizens. And uh, we should not have to do that because similar to what I said about the, the public relations pioneers, female public relations pioneers, African-American public relations pioneers are pioneers. So they should not be called out separately. And the reason I keep using the term called out, so in some textbooks, so our public relations textbooks, some have gotten better in the history section. So history sections of public relations textbooks uh, include public relations pioneers, and some of them include no minorities and no women. A few of the textbooks are now just starting to include names like Moss Kendricks and Inez Kaiser and a few others. However, often when those individuals are profiled, they're profiled in a separate section of the textbook in the history section, but they're still called out. And there's usually a heading like female and African-American pioneers. They're just pioneers. So they should just be incorporated into the rest of the textbook. And black history is U.S. history. Women's history is U.S. history. So I'm glad that there is such a month because it has drawn attention to the many, many achievements and contributions of African-Americans to United States, to United States history, and the same with women. However, it is just U.S. history and should be thought of 
as such. We're not there yet, though, which is why we still have these separate months. That's an interesting uh, commentary on the use of uh, the word, you know, pioneers and, and, and how they're in some ways segregated, aren't they? Yes, they're, they're still segregated. Yeah, I guess for lack of a better word. Yes. <laughs> so, Denise, you know, your career has been in, uh, in the corporate sector, and now, of course, you have done some teaching before, but now I, I, uh, I gather you do it on a full-time basis. So yes. what kind of a transition was it for you to go from the corporate world uh, to the world of academia on a full-time basis? So uh, for me, the transition was easy because I planned it, and um, so I was a career planner, so there were things in my career that I worked on and planned, like um, before I became a CCO, I said, okay, one of the things that I want to achieve, one of the things I want to do is I want to be a CCO, so I said, what is it that I need to do to get there? So I was working in a corporate job, and I was looking way, way ahead, had no desire to leave the corporate job, was still learning and growing, and I said, eventually in my career, I am going to want to take all of this knowledge and experience and pass it on to the next generation of strategic communication practitioners. And I said, so I'm not there yet, but that is something that I want to do down the road eventually. And then I said, and if I do it, I want to go at it 100%. For me, that 100% meant um, getting that terminal degree, so getting the, the PhD. So one of the things that I did was I was an adjunct while I was working as a CCO. So I would teach a class um, in the evening on occasion. So I had the experience of teaching and knew what that was like while I was still working as a, as a CCO. And then when I started my Ph.D. program, I was actually a part-time Ph.D. student and a full-time chief communication officer. Mm -hmm. So I was doing both at the same time when I first started pursuing the Ph.D. So because I, had, I was doing both and because I also planned it, the transition for me was, was – um, easier than it may have, than it may seem to be so it was um it was an easy transition for me the other thing is because i teach what i used to do um that also made the transition easy for me so tell us about uh, elon university why did you choose it um is it because it's uh, it's where you wanted to live uh, or did, did, were you exploring other universities as well Tell us about how you got to Elon and, and what kind of a university it is, in your view. So I um, uh, had moved to North Carolina for my last CCO job with Delhaize America. So I was in North Carolina and working in North Carolina as a chief communication officer. And I was getting my Ph.D. from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So decided to stay in North Carolina. So I knew that I wanted to work at a university in North Carolina. And um, I was not looking for a, a job when I got this job because I was still finishing my PhD. And actually, um, the, who was the, the person who was then the dean of the School of Communications contacted me and um, told me about a position here, and it was a position where it was a full-time teaching position and uh, for an assistant professor who had a Ph.D., but also somebody who had significant corporate experience 
because they were looking for somebody to teach in the graduate program. There was a graduate degree called a Master of Science in Management with a concentration in corporate communications. And it was a joint degree with the School of Communications and the School of Business. So students would actually get a business degree, but with a concentration in corporate communications. So the university wanted somebody who had worked in corporate communications, but then still had the PhD. So the dean um, found my resume, even though I was still, I was not looking um, because I was still pursuing my PhD at the time. And um, I had heard of Elon because it has such a positive reputation um, in the communications world, so in communications education, has a positive reputation for a strong communications program and a strong school of communications. And so I came here for an interview. Um, I was impressed with the, the program. I was impressed with the students. Um, and I was impressed with uh, the faculty and staff. And um, I was offered the position and decided to accept it. And I was offered the position even though I had not completed my PhD. So the university, I was you know, teaching full-time and then finishing up my PhD. And um, so the university is known for um, an excellent school of communications and also known for its quality of teaching, known for its study abroad program, and um, have a lot of applicants, but the reputation of the university overall and then the reputation of the School of Communications continues to grow and continues to develop. So that's part of the reason that I came here. How long have you been there now? Um, I started here in August 2014. Ah, okay. All right. Um, well, you obviously have earned your stripes as associate professor, haven't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have. <laughs> so my next question is um, – you, you've obviously taught uh, public relations courses, you know, prior to doing it on a full-time basis. And uh, uh, what's your take, Denise, on how PR curricula have changed on the uh, college-university level during the, say, past 10 years or so? So um, I think one of the ways that they have changed is there is an increased focus on the recognition of strategic communications and its impact on organizational outcomes and making sure that students are, number one, aware of that and prepared for that and prepared for their role in that process. I think the other way that they've changed is there is, because the industry has an, uh, an additional focus, I think there is more focus on measurement, evaluation, and analytics. So um, so we even at Elon have a, a degree in media analytics because the industry is focused on that way. So I think what has happened with um, programs with schools of communications and their PR programs and their strategic communications programs, I think there is a, um, a good match between what is being taught and what is happening in the industry so that schools make sure that they are preparing their students uh, not only to have the foundation, the foundational knowledge and skills needed for being entry-level practitioners, but also to provide a foundation for those students when they become practitioners to grow and develop and to succeed in those roles and to make a contribution to the industry. Oh, that's great. 
Do you have a, a, a PRSSA chapter at Elon? Yes, we do have a PRSSA chapter, and I am actually the faculty advisor to that PRSSA chapter. So PRSA does an excellent job with uh, with PRSSA, and it is such a valuable learning opportunity for students. It's amazing how how PRSSA itself has has grown throughout the country. You know, and the it really of has colleges and universities. You know that have chapters. Yeah, it's it's just a, a great, great. I encourage my students who want to get into public relations, into strategic communications, I encourage them to join and to become, not just to join, but to become active in PRSSA. What needs to be done to encourage more diverse college students to major in public relations? Um, I think one thing that would would help is at the university level, um, seeing more faculty that look like them, uh, making sure that when students are being taught, they are seeing people that look like them as well so that they feel like they are not the, quote-unquote, the only one. And um, to also give them mentors, so people who are currently working in the industry and people who are not just working in the industry but entry-level people, mid-level people, and then um, practitioners who have been in the industry for a while so that they can see the gamut of career growth and development. Because part of the problem with diversity in the industry is we not, we not only have a problem with recruiting, but we also have a problem with retaining. So I think um, letting students know that there are people in the industry that look like them that are at all levels of the organization and, and mentoring those students and providing students with access to those individuals I think would help go a long way. What is your mission? What do you see as your mission? Uh, call it your, your academic and personal goals, goals in, the, in teaching public relations. Do you have an overall mission uh, you obviously felt at some point, you know, that uh, once you accumulated sufficient experience in the corporate sector, that it is something you wanted to pass on, you know, to uh, to students. Um, is that your mission, or, or would you phrase it in a different way? I would say that's part of my mission. So when I was practicing public relations, because I practiced public relations for so long, and have you know, an undergraduate degree, a master's degree, a PhD in communications. And so I have a passion for the industry. So when I was practicing public relations, I loved it, absolutely loved it, and um, have a passion for the work. So I moved into the academic world in order to share that passion with my students so that they, in turn, would develop that passion, and also to provide them with the foundational knowledge and skills that they need to do the work and to succeed at the work, but also to spark creativity in them and also to make sure that they have the critical thinking skills to succeed in the work. So my mission focused on all of those things and making sure that I took what I learned and helped pass that on to the next generation so that they would feel that passion, so that they would... Um, they are inspired to do creative work. They inspire to do. They are able to do uh, work that is focused on outcomes. They understand the importance of ethics, and um, 
it's rewarding when I see my former students in their positions and how well they are doing in their positions. So that is part of my mission as, a, as an educator. And then as an academic researcher, I also have a separate mission, and that mission has to do with changing the historiography of our industry, and meaning our current history. So our current history in terms of pioneers is that public relations was, modern public relations was developed um, in the 1900s and it improved and evolved and it became more, the practice became more sophisticated into the 1930s, 40s, it improved into the 60s, 1970s, 80s, and you know, and we have now strategic two-way communication. And number one, that's not how public relations developed or evolved. And number two, we have a number of women and minorities who are part of that history who have been excluded. And so part of my mission is to change that history and to present our history to our industry as a history that is accurate and inclusive. Uh, is that one of the reasons why you're active in the uh, 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 PR museum? Yes, yes, that is one of the reasons I'm active in the uh, the PR museum. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, I, I uh, met Shelley Specter many, many years ago uh, when I was actually doing some academic research on um, something that Edward Bernays was actually doing in 1920, where he was um, developing a public relations campaign for the um, NAACP conference that was held in Atlanta in 1920, which is the first time the organization had a conference in the South. So that was a big deal in 1920. So a, a very quick, a very quick story, uh, Denise. Um, Shelley uh, Spector used to work. Uh, at my firm, Lopes and Stevens in New York, which was one of the top independent public relations firms in the in the country back in the uh, 80s and 90s. I know and, the name. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, yes. And one day, uh, through her efforts, through Shelley's efforts, Edward L. Bernays uh, was a speaker at our agency. Uh, we used to have a, a crafts uh, breakfast about once a month. We invited outside speakers, and uh, Edward Edward L. Bernays at the time was about 98 years old. Okay when he came to speak at our breakfast. And he started talking about uh, the people he had met with during his career. And he said, oh, I remember when I had a meeting with Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> and you could see the jaws drop on the part of the people in the room because you know most of them were young people. And uh, uh, the name Woodrow Wilson really comes out of the world of history. And the fact that somebody is standing there who actually knew Woodrow Wilson personally really made them <laughs> put them in a state of shock. But, uh, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I uh, would have. I did not have an opportunity to meet Edward Bernays, and I would have loved to have had an opportunity to meet him. So, Denise, you've had a, you've uh, obviously become a role model in the academic community, uh, and you re you've received many accolades. Um, how would you describe your? I know you've got, got, gotten into this, but I'll, you know I'll phrase it anyway. How would you describe your philosophy of public relations education? In addition, you know, to obviously uh, correcting history, if you will, uh, what 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 are your other views about uh, what what is vital to be taught in public relations? 
So um, some of these things I have touched on, for example, ethics. So it is important that our next generation of practitioners continues to recognize the importance of ethics. Uh, because our prof in our profession, we have the uh, power and the ability to persuade, which is is. Uh, an ability that is, again, I use the word power, powerful, the fact that we can do this. So we need to make sure that we are doing so ethically. So I think that continues to be important as well. Um, I think um, it is important to make sure that our students recognize the impact of communications and organizational performance, organizational outcomes. I think it's important to make sure that our students that we are focused on uh, ensuring that they know the difference between outcomes and outputs. So we need to make sure that our industry continues to move towards communications outputs. And when we measure communications, that we are measuring outcomes versus continually measuring outputs. And so that's one thing that I stress to my students, the, this problem that we've had with measurement. So I think some of the things, some of the areas in the industry that have been problems for practitioners with our students, if we educate our students, they're getting ready to join the work world. If we can get them to have the skills, we will start correcting some of the things that have been problems for the communications industry, such as measurement. There are some others, but you know, measurement, diversity, such as, as measurement, which has been a problem for the industry. How is it that we measure what we do? So uh, that's what I focus on. I focus on making sure that they have those skills, but then what is it that we want the next generation of practitioners to, to do, and what is it that we want them to do well? Those are the things that I focus on in my teaching. So we've talked about the concept of diversity in the uh, profession of public relations. Um, I want to get your overall view and philosophy about diversity in general, diversity in the United States, uh, in, in many industries, um, the private sector, the public sector, government and nonprofit and so on. How far do you think diversity has gone and how far does, do you feel it uh, needs to continue to go? So um, I think the problem with diversity in the public relations industry is not unique to the public relations strategic communications industry. So other industries have this this problem as well. And I think it's good that there is a, a light that is um, that, that we're looking at the problem, that we're aware of the problem. So I think it's good that we have ongoing awareness. But as I mentioned previously, we need to start taking action with the diversity problem, not just in, in, in industry, but overall in the United States. It's a societal problem. But it's not just diversity. So underlying diversity is a problem of inclusion. It's a problem of belief. And it's a problem of attitude. So if somebody has an attitude that a particular minority group is uh, less than they are for whatever reason, then we've got an attitude problem. And I still think that we have this problem in the United States overall. So if you look at the history of the United States and um, some of the aspects of the founding of the, the country, if you look at our history of slavery, that is part of our history. And there are certain things, there are certain attitudes and beliefs and behaviors that still have not been resolved as a result of that history. 
and um, it's problematic. It continues to be problematic. And again, it is part of the United States and the culture of the United States. Regarding the private sector, uh, Denise, uh, you've obviously worked for Fortune 500 companies. Um, do you think that uh, the, uh, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company is sufficiently uh, uh, aware of diversity as a private sector uh, matter? Um, they focus, of course, on uh, the you know, the price of the stock of the company and uh, obviously continuing revenues and profits. How important to the CEO is diversity? I know some corporations uh, like uh, Johnson & Johnson and Pitney, Pitney Bowes, we had Cheryl Battles as one of our uh, guests uh, a few weeks back. Um, how vital do you think diversity is to the, corp to the average corporate CEO these days? So I think it's important. Um, obviously, it is um some CEOs are addressing it more than others, but the thing about looking at revenue and stock price, I think CEOs recognize that um, human capital employees are vital to the organization. You know, there would be no revenue without those employees. And um, reflecting the changing demographics of the United States and where organizations are going to uh, draw employees from. So they need to draw employees from a diverse workforce, and those employees need to have the skills needed to do those jobs. So I think it is something that CEOs are aware of, and some of them are taking more direct action in that regard than others. Um, I want to spend the last few questions. This has been really, really stimulating, uh, Denise. Uh, and your views are, are really very, very uh, pointed and, uh, and, and you know, on target. Uh, I want to talk about you now, uh, you know, you personally. Um, you obviously are a very, very busy uh, lady who uh, has just been uh, promoted uh, in your uh, uh, university, and uh, you must have some spare time here and there. And so if you do, and when you do, what, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do outside of uh, academia at the present time? So um, one of the things I like to do is go hiking. So I like physical activity. So I have a home gym. And so I like working out. Um, I also like working out outdoors. So I like to go hiking. Um, I have dogs. I have a dog. So I like to go hiking with the dog. Um, I also like reading and uh, movies. I like foreign films as well. Um, another thing that is a sort of a hobby, but it is r related to my work. Um, so I like, uh, this is actually work, but it's a hobby because it's just fun for me. So I like history. I like um, uh, African-American history. And uh, my research involves going to archives and looking at historical documents. So um, I wouldn't say that that, like I do that as a hobby for fun, but when I do it for work, it's, it feels like a hobby So because I enjoy it so much. So uh, also like spending time with friends, uh, like socializing very much, uh, absolutely love travel and love traveling to, uh, love traveling in the United States, but uh, really, really love traveling internationally. Absolutely love traveling internationally. You volunteer a lot of your time to other organizations and causes. Some of them, of course, are in the uh, caller communications and public relations uh, uh, arenas. Um, how do you find the time to do it, and why is it important to you to do that? To do that. So 
So a lot of the organizations that I'm involved with, in, um, I am sharing my knowledge about communications. And because I have the knowledge, because I have the experience, if I can take that and help an organization, um, I'm involved with some nonprofit organizations, if I can help them do that with skills and experience that I have, then I am very, very happy to do that. And um, I also like being active in organizations that are related to communications. So I'm active in some nonprofit organizations, and I'm also active in a number of organizations related to our industry, strategic communications and public relations. And um, I think our industry has grown and changed so much over the years. I think it continues to do so. Um, this is a very important industry, not just to our clients, but also to society overall. So there are things in society that would not have happened without public relations. So we play an important role in that. And if I can uh, give back to strengthening our industry, to helping lead our industry, that's very important to me. So my final question to you, Associate Professor Denise Hill of Elon University. Uh, my final question is, where do you see yourself in the years ahead? Um, so um, I see myself in the years ahead making strides and affecting change with the history of public relations. So that is one of the things that I uh, am hoping to be able to change. And so that it, number one, that it is inclusive and that it is not, um, uh, the word that you used previously was a good one, that it's not segregated, that it's inclusive, but it's still segregated. So again, as I've mentioned a number of times, uh, the contributions of women and minorities are contributions, just like the contributions of uh, men like Arthur Page and Ivy Lee. So I see myself making strides and making an impact and creating additional visibility in the industry there. And I see myself continuing to be a thought leader in that regard. And then I see myself continuing to play a role in advancing the profession uh, through some of my leadership positions, for example, being on the board of public, the Public Relations Society of America. So being a thought leader in that regard to help advance our profession and then making sure that I am playing a significant role in educating the next generation of outst outstanding strategic communication professionals. Well, Denise, you have a full agenda on your plate. And uh, all I can tell you is this was a most stimulating discussion. I really enjoyed chatting with you on the phone and, and hearing your viewpoints on a variety of subjects. So on behalf of our listeners, Denise, I thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your views with us. Art, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and I have enjoyed it. It has been a delight. And thank you all for tuning into another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. Until next time, I am Art Stevens wishing you all the very best.